Welcome to Future Insiders, a podcast about the future of tech, business, and humanity. I am your host, Kathy Hackle. Today, I'm joined by Roger Spitz, founder and CEO of Texistential and chairman of the Disruptive Futures Institute. We'll be talking about the future of technology and even the future of strategic foresight. Let's get to it. So everyone, I am joined by my friend Roger Spitz over here. He is a fellow futurist. And just like with Chris Mayer, who was one of my past um, guests, uh, Roger and I, we kind of had been in the same circles for a while, but we didn't really meet until we met in person at the University of Houston Foresight Certificate Program. So Roger, how are you doing? I'm great. It's so fantastic to, to be with you and to reconnect, Kathy. Yeah, so Roger and I kind of really, really hit it off at um, at the certificate program in Houston. It seems that we had a lot of people in common, lots of similar interests. And I found you to be like one of the most interesting people I met there. You you have quite a, a, a background uh, that led you to foresight and futurism. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that because you come from investment banking and uh, mergers and acquisitions and just a very interesting perspective as to how you got into foresight. That's great. And you know, at some point, I want to have a podcast myself because I want to reciprocate it. Because in terms of interesting, I haven't found sort of uh, much more interesting than you as well. So that will be some other time where I <laughs> can't wait Thank to reciprocate. You. I'll t- yeah, anytime, anytime, <laughs> Roger. <laughs> but no, listen, on the, on the question, um, I it's an accident, to be honest. Like many things in life, like many very good things in life, it's an accident. I, you know, spent 20 years... Um, in London, but covering globally in investment banking, usual thing in you know London, New York, and many cities. Um, and I was indeed advising you know mainly companies, you know the CEOs, the boards, the shareholders on how to future-proof their ventures through M and A, strategic partnerships, and investments. And that and I did that for some time, and it you know it's fantastic learning, and, and it was great. But what I observed over the past uh, past few years was that. When you're looking at the converging exponential technologies, the accelerating speed and scale of change, not just the velocity and the nature of change, but the increased multiplicity of actors and complexity, you kind of feel that the traditional strategic you know, playbook goes out of the window. And, <laughs> and that's really, that's really, and you're, you know, you're at the forefront of, of all that disruption and change. But I really sort of wondered what, you know, what does all this mean if companies, however established they are, can pretty much have the industries reshaped or disappear overnight? Um, and on the on the other side of the coin, very interesting to see the white space with you know new ideas, innovation that comes out of nowhere and that can you know pretty quickly displace the the incumbents or even just create new 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 platforms and networks and industries. So that for me was fascinating, and so it led me on a journey which was really understanding disruption better. And so I had the chance to spend a bit of time in Silicon Valley. I'm today in San Francisco, but also in Israel. I spent time studying complexity science um, and systems thinking at Santa Fe Institute. Spent time with the D School on innovation and, and design thinking at Stanford. Spent time with our friends at Singularity University on exponential technologies and a few other things. But but it's really when I hit foresight and futures and, and where we met, although the journey had been you know, many years before that, that I realized that for me, foresight connected best all those different elements. And what I'd been thinking about for years 
kind of I decided to professionalize it. And I decided that, you know, I decided that many years ago, but I only went ahead with it less than a year ago. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the journey. <laughs> I mean, and you've created your own framework, which I think is fantastic. Um, you know, just really interesting journey that you've had. And you're originally from South Africa, if I am not wrong, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had quite an interesting, you know, journey you've lived i think i read in your bio it was like you've lived in like 10 countries or like something yeah, like that you know lived yeah. and worked in 10 countries i mean i've lived in many countries that not, didn't necessarily work there because i was a child but um very what i love about what you're doing roger is spe specifically that you bring to it a very global and a very informed point of view to strategic foresight that i think you know is is very much appreciated because you know, while we're based in the U.S., a lot of it, you know, tends to be, you know, if you're in the U.S. and you're a futurist, you're very U.S. Um, centric in some ways. Um, you know, that's at least some of the criticism that I've seen from folks in Europe. Uh, they're like, you guys are so U.S. centric. Uh, obviously, that's changing. But I love the fact that you bring that kind of international um, consciousness of sorts. I mean, you you spent a lot of time in Israel, like you mentioned, Brazil as well. I know you've done mm -hmm. some yeah. work there as well. Uh, so maybe tell folks a little bit about what you're doing right now, because you have your own consultancy and you set up also an institute that I think is uh, it has a really interesting mission. Yeah. Yeah. So I professionally, I've always practiced um, globally. So, you know, even though I was based in London or the past few years, San Francisco, I always had global coverage. So I would spend time, you know, equally in, in Europe, Asia, LATAM and everywhere. And, and and on a personal level, again, you know, coincidence. But I I ended up moving quite a bit, you know, as a kid, um, lived in different different parts of the world. And and I agree with you that um, that is really just gives you a, a wonderful perspective on 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 change and different things. And you know yourself, you're also super international. But when I went on that journey I described earlier, I. And I've always been fascinated by philosophy, almost regretting that I hadn't maybe, you know, dared to study philosophy more and move to kind of becoming a boring, you know, banker for so many years. But <laughs> <laughs> we make choices. But the one part of philosophy which I like most is existential philosophy, which is where you have, you know, your own agency over things. And so a few years back when I started to feel that technology wasn't just you know, just some tool or just some anecdotal thing, but actually potentially having an implications in terms of the future of humanity, in particular through AI. Um, I thought actually of the name Tech Essential, which is technology and existential. And as I professionalized the practice, it you know, I do like what many people do. You have speaking, you take on some boards, you have some foresight um, strategic advisory and, and various other engagements. But over the past few months, I had already felt that the world was kind of really needing to understand some of these changes and what it meant. And over the past few months with, you know, with the sad health issue the world is facing, I felt that a lot of the existing references disappeared. And I felt that by basically so many different people reaching out from my talks and that, and not just, you know, the pat on the back of the usual suspects, but kids as yeah. young as 17, 18 or 19, asking me to go on a podcast, thinking about what does it mean, this exponential change and the technologies in terms of what they should be studying if they start going to school or studying something which may no longer exist by the time they finish. And... And so, and different parts of the world and that. And so I realized that there was probably merit in having a side of, of what I did, which was just purely education. 
and which is as democrat democratized as possible and as practical as possible, where I'm not trying to be a particular clever thought leader or anything, but really just trying to think about my own journey, what I learned, how important it was, and, and in what way can I feed it back for Gen Alpha, Gen Z, and, and the rest of the world um, in a way that's kind of digestible. Yeah, and I, I absolutely love that. I was thinking about what my mission is, right? Because we all have our missions. And <laughs> I was trying to put my mission into words, and I was thinking more like, I, I want to inspire more, uh, you know, more international people or more diverse people to enter Foresight. Because um, mm. I do think that it, it's very much needed. Um, I, you know, I'm even toying with the idea of something like diversify foresight or, you know, diverse futurist. I don't know. That's just mm -hmm. kind of something that I've been kind of toying with in my mind. So I, I love what you're saying. Um, you, you actually wrote an article on the future of education and kind of what you're seeing there. And I think that's very aligned to the conversation we're having. So maybe share some of the thoughts uh, first where, where folks can go to find that article, um, but also some of the thoughts that you shared in there because I thought they were very insightful. Now that's that's really kind and thoughtful. So the one of the things I've been thinking about is what ultimately we are how we are, whether we're leaders in companies or governments or parents or, or children, in a framework for which a lot of which makes a little of assumption about the world being linear, stable, and predictable. And and to be honest, it's not just the recent pandemic, but it's it's really not been the case for some time. It's just that it wasn't necessarily discernible. It was in slow motion, it wasn't equally distributed. Um, and my sense is that really that assumption is not only flawed about the world being linear, stable, and predictable, but actually drives the whole educational system, which is still knowledge-based, yeah. and drives the way companies behave and leadership makes decisions. And the other thing I was observing is that what happens, and that starts in the, in the, in the playground, it starts at school, right? How you're shaped and, and what assumptions you make and that how you see the world. And then the other thing I was observing is that, and you know, no scoops, but machines are learning very fast and with increasingly, you know, higher level of human functions. And so what does it mean if, if <laughs> in terms of the value chain of decision-making, humans aren't necessarily kind of um, upgrading their, their abilities for this more complex world and, and machines, they're not stop, stopping to learn. So I started thinking about trying to highlight that and, you know, I think it, it covers a number of areas, which is simply, first of all, how important to your point education is, because, you know, it is really key how, how you think about school. And I looked at certain countries like Finland or Israel, which are very innovative, where they reframe education almost around discovery and inadequacies. And to your point earlier about wanting to sort of bring a different perspectives and how important futures are, a lot of these countries you know, integrate futures in the schooling system, give, empower young citizens. They encourage people to fail, to make mistakes, to try things, to experiment. And so it's it's really just thinking about what this world is, which is not knowledge driven, where whether you're competing against machines or not, it doesn't matter. The point is you're cohabitating with machines and yourself, you're spending a lot of time on that topic in, in many respects, of course. Yeah. And so if you don't start at school deleting that assumption of linear, stable, predictable, rethinking what education should look like to have a beginner's mind, 
to encourage ambiguity and complexity and experimentation and the value of um, creativity, curiosity, and all these things, diverse perspectives, you're basically, you know, going to continue with the wonderful job the world is doing at, you know, in the current circumstances, right? Which I think we'll yeah. both agree is probably something we can improve on. <laughs> yeah, and I see it with my children. I, you know, for me, it's sometimes they'll have a situation and my, my like motherly instinct is to go and like save them or like go and, and kind of, you know, be their, you know, be their, um, be their voice or something. But mm -hmm. because of the last couple of years, I've taken a step back and sometimes I let them engage with conflict or face conflict. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course I help them. It gets to a point where it's like, you know, sure. like it gets to a point, but, but I do want them to understand that there is conflict that they need to help you figure out how to resolve conflict on their own. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's something that I found really interesting being a mom and watching my kids grow. Mm -hmm. So and what you're saying, it's true. Like I feel, you know, they go to school and they learn to regurgitate. That's all they're doing. Like there's mm -hmm. no, there's no resilience. There's no, you know, um, we actually tried a school last year, wonderful school with a beautiful curriculum with resilience and emotional intelligence. Sadly, the school, um, you know, there were certain things uh, that just didn't work for us. And mm -hmm. I really wish they had. Um, so we're going back to the regular, let's say, system, um, mm -hmm. which, are, you know, I'm still I'm still happy that they're going to be able to go to, you know, go virtually to a good school. Um, but I do feel like there is a need there to change education. Um, I did um, an interview with Esther Wojcicki, which I'm sure oh, yeah. you've, you've come across her. She yeah, is yeah. so amazing. Um, and, and, you know, her views are really interesting when it comes to education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I was so lucky to have her to, to listen into a talk. In fact, it was about a year ago. I think it was for the Solidarity um, August 2019, where yeah. she did a, a dedicated workshop for one hour with about 15 or 20 of us, which was fascinating. Yeah, she and I, I actually met her in Costa Rica when I keynoted mm -hmm. Singularity Summit down there. So that was, you know, for me, one of the biggest takeaways was like meeting her, meeting some really amazing mm -hmm. folks. Um, but obviously, you are tracking a lot of things and you're looking at a lot of things and you look at them with this really interesting um, microscope, let's say, or this interesting view. What are some of the things that you're excited about when it comes to future? Of course, we're going through a very uncertain time, uh, a time that is, you know, a lot of people are hurting in many different ways. But what are what are you excited about? I always try to also think about the positive because um, I, I don't know about you, but I tend to be I tend to be protopian about my point of view. Um, I'm yeah. not dystopian or utopian. It's not all you mm -hmm. know unicorns and popcorn, um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not all death and, and you know all this other dystopian stuff here. I think it's somewhere in the middle. But what are you excited about? What are you seeing out there that's uh, you know that you'd like to kind of talk about? Sure. So they're, they're different things. I think, first of all, one of the areas which obviously is very um, prominent but not strong enough is probably everything to do with the societal shift, right, in terms of stakeholder capitalism and, and you know, whether it's climate and sustainability or, or other, other societal factors. Um, and the move away from shareholder primacy, I think, is an important step. I attribute that yeah. to, you know, I call that radical transparency, traceability, and technology, because I think technology is, in a way, an enabler to, to that. Uh, there's, there's the scrutiny of the technology and then the societal shift. Now, that I'm positive about, the move from shareholder primacy to stakeholder capitalism, although I think 
unless you change how companies are actually valued and the real metrics by the stock market and all that, it's a little bit half-hearted, but there's still progress. And I'm, I'm positive that that will emerge. And, you know, hopefully the work you're doing and, and some of us are doing around making futures more prominent in terms of mindset will bring different generations with longer term timeframes and different perspectives from, from what we have today. So that's one area, the whole, you know, um, stakeholder world. There's a second area, which is, you know, for the the risks and, and things one needs to be mindful of in terms of technology, there are a lot of enablers. I mean, I read a wonderful article the other day around the brain-computer interface and a lot of these things. Some of it is is definitely scary in terms of, you know, Black Mirror and, and all that. But some of it is is really, you know, essential and helpful for people who, who have disabilities or certain circumstances. So there's a lot of the technology... Um, as well as the, you know, the support for walking and, and you know, different type yeah. of injuries. So there's there's a lot on the technology front, which, you know, one sometimes forgets because we just look at the Black Mirror side, but which is very, very helpful for a lot of the world. Um, and to be honest, what I talked about earlier in terms of the end of the linear world and the end of the predictable and stable world, I see that as a positive thing. It's just that people are not adapted to it and don't, you know, are not sort of cabled yet to to think about that world. Yeah. But actually, it's a world of curiosity and experimentation and where you're allowed to fall and, and fail and pick up and improvise. Um, and so I actually see that as a positive that you can't just, you know, rely I love on that. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, you go, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> formulaic playbook that's just predetermined and that. It actually gives me a sense of... Uh, really the existential, the true meaning of existential, which is there's a problem that exists and then you define your essence, you emerge through the choices and decisions. And and that's really for me what, what agency is. Yeah. I always walk away from conversations with you just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> thinking about so many amazing things. Oh my goodness, this is awesome. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I think we're getting kind of towards the end of our time together. Um, so maybe share with folks a little bit about some of the current projects you might be working on that you're excited about. Um, and then, you know, also how folks can connect with you. Cause I'm sure lots of people after listening to this are going to be like, oh my gosh, he's amazing. So where can they connect with you? And what are some of the cool things you're working on? No, that's great. So listen, I, I'm with a few partners and we're working on <clears throat> building content for the Disruptive Futures Institute. So I'd almost tell people, forget about Roger, forget about um, Tech Essential, which is more kind of advisory and corporate. Um, stick around and, and follow Disruptive Futures Institute. We'll be more and more you know, on social media. We're setting up a YouTube channel. And there are two things we're doing, which I which I hope will be you know helpful. One is I'm trying to feed everything that I've learned myself and that I found phenomenally useful back in the form of a guidebook, you know, whether it will be called the definitive guide to you know thriving on disruption or whatever. So basically, a guidebook that's very practical and helpful on a lot of these themes. And then basically, we're trying to also have all of that available online and through courses and masterclasses in a consumable way and Gen Alpha, Gen Z friendly kind of thing in terms of UX and UI. Yeah. So that's really the next six, nine months to democratize that, to, to simplify it so that people aren't scared of it and just have the resources we need to just, you know, do our best in this in this slightly different world. So we're going to see you on TikTok. 
<laughs> I'll tell you in 42 days. <laughs> yeah, right. And we don't know yet what's going to happen with TikTok. Right? <laughs> if you're trying to reach Jen Alzar, Jen said, yeah. <laughs> Reels, Jen, I'll see you do some foresight dancing. Reels, um, <laughs> 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 but um, pretty much. So, yeah. So, where, where can folks find you? How can they connect with you? So there's a newsletter that they can sign up for on um, on the disruptivefutures.org website. There's a Disruptive Futures Institute um, YouTube channel at Disrupt Futures on Twitter and uh, Instagram. So yeah, th those are kind of different ways. But if you follow or, and LinkedIn as well, Disruptive Futures Institute. Um, on LinkedIn, and we try and be reasonably consistent with the content, and we'll be upping the game over the next few weeks and months. Yeah, I'm very excited to see where, where you know where this leads you. Um, so, everyone, thank you, Roger. Thank you for being uh, on the podcast. And folks, please reach out to Roger; he's fantastic. Connect with him and Disruptive Futures Institute. And um, yeah, thanks for being on uh, Future Insiders. Thanks for being always amazing, Kathy, and so nice to be able to chat to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Future Insiders podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and I'll see you in our next episode.